0: Greetings film pals, I bid you welcome to The Cinematic Crypt, a movie podcast hosted by Movie John's Old Sport and classic coroner Rosalie Kicks, me. Each episode I travel six feet under and pry open a coffin of one of my favorite Hollywood corpses and perform a post-watch examination of one of their forgotten films. Lend me your ears and listen along as I summon the spirits of Hollywood's dearly departed and uncover your next favorite film, From the Grave. Before entering the crypt, I will start with reading my obituary, a notice of what I've been up to since we last spent time together. Well, things have been cooking with Pizza Man, This past Sunday, we held our first fundraiser at a local Philadelphia establishment, Snap Custom Pizza Kitchen. Attendees had the opportunity to make their own pizza with 50% of the profits going to the production of Pizza Man. Now, for those who don't remember, Pizza Man is a short flick that I'm working on with my friend Katie McBrown, and it's in the vein of an 80s slasher flick. So you should definitely check it out. Um, It actually has occurred to me that I am currently recording this episode before this fundraiser actually has taken place. Although, as I peer into my crystal ball, I see that it went very well. Awesome, in fact. Frankly, why wouldn't it? Pizza was involved. Now, if you missed the event, no need to fret, my dear listeners there is another upcoming opportunity for those local to Philly. On October 7th, we will be hosting a bingo night at Tattooed Moms, which is located at 530 South Street, Philadelphia. The event will be held in their upstairs lounge. Doors are at 6 p.m. and bingo play starts at seven. 10 bucks gets you 10 straight bingo games. And we will end the evening with a bonus coverall game for $2 and a 50-50 raffle. We have some awesome prizes lined up, including pizza gift cards, Movie John subscriptions, cinema snacks, and more. And oh yeah, the most exciting part is that we are showing a teaser of the film. That's right, so you don't want to miss this event. Also, shout out to Mother Wolf, the woman that raised me. Seriously, you think I'm wild? There's a reason they call her Mother Wolf. Anyway, thanks, Mom, for getting all the prizes together. They're great. Anyway, hope you come out to Tattooed Moms on October 7th and support some local filmmaking. Now, for those of you that live in faraway lands, don't worry. You can still support this radical production via our crowdfunding site. We have officially launched the campaign, and you can find it at seedandspark.com, just search Pizza Man. And don't worry, I'll post the URL on moviejohn.com as well. But please go check it out. We have some fun rewards for you, such as the official teaser poster, which if you have not seen it, it's something to truly behold. It's rem- reminiscent of an 80s slasher poster by our art director, Hugo Marmugi, and he knocked it out of the park with this one. Anyways, we really need your help, and we have to raise $3,000 in less than a month. So any dough you have is helpful and appreciated. Thanks. Other than Pizza Man news, I would like to mention that I was recently on the podcast, I Like to Movie Movie. This is a Philly-based show run by some of my Philly film pals, Garrett and Dan. And I stopped by recently to talk about my adventures at TIFF Pizza Man, and we chatted about slasher flicks. You can find their cast, I like to movie movie wherever you catch your pods. Now, as for movies, I highly recommend checking out the flick, Judy, starring Renee Zellweger that was released this past Friday. It's a rather formulaic biopic about Judy Garland's last concert tour in London, but Renee gives a stellar performance that is definitely worth the watch. I saw it at TIFF and my review is posted on moviejohn.com where you can also find my review of the most talked about man about town, at the moment, that's the Joker, which comes out this week. All right, it's time to grab your cape, get comfortable, it is time for our regularly scheduled Spooky program.
1: There's one magical haunted evening each year when all the scary creatures come out to prowl through every neighborhood. But here's the scariest monster of all. Do you know why? This little witch doesn't know it, but she's taking some frightening chances of being hurt, maybe badly hurt. Her costume is very, very dangerous. Can you see the things that make it dangerous? What about that mask?
0: The 1920s silent film, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, was made by German director Robert Wien. He's not the corpse I'm digging up this evening, though. Instead, tonight's dissection will be of Conrad Vedet. The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari was written by Hans Janowitz and Carl Meyer and tells the story of the mystifying and puzzling Dr. Caligari, who utilizes a somnambulist named Cesar to commit murder. Conrad Vedet plays the role of César, and if you don't recognize Vedet, you may know him from the extremely well-known film Casablanca, in which he played the role of Major Heinrich Strasser. Now, in conducting my research, I was surprised to learn that he was initially considered for the role of Dracula, which inevitably went to a former corpse Palavars, Bela Lugosi. He also starred in The Man Who Laughs, a silent picture from 1928, which has been on my watch list for quite some time, thanks to my film pal and the founder of Movie John, Francis Friel. Now, I have not worked up the nerve to watch this one yet. However, I think there's no time like October to watch a story about a man who is surgically disfigured. Vedit's role as Gwynplaine, a man whose mouth is surgically altered to have an unceasing grin, is said to have been the inspiration for the Batman creator, Bob Kane's Joker. The concept of The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari came after a visit to the carnival. Picture it, a carnival in the pale moonlight. Writer Hans Janowitz witnesses a strange man lurking in the shadows. The following day, he learns that a young girl was found murdered that same night at the carnival. Janowitz ends up attending the funeral, only to see this same strange figure that he saw at the carnival creeping around. Of course, he was not 100% this was the same exact man, but from here, the story was born. There is something so mystifying to me about carnivals, especially at nightfall, when the lights initially flicker on, the hum of their buzzing, the slight chill in the air, and the wafting smells of funnel cake. It is magical. After Pizza Man is shot, I hope to spend the winter crafting a peculiar and spectacular carnival story. What a dream location that would be to film in. I will watch any film that has even a glimpse of a carnival. It could just have a shot of a ferris wheel. I'll watch it. Now before watching The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, I never even knew that this was a major part of the premise. Isn't it rad how many movies are out there? So many hidden flicks just waiting to be unburied and find their way into our eyes. So this story is split into six acts. The film opens with the line, Spirits surround us on every side. They have driven me from hearth and home, from wife and child. Well, I was hooked. Spirits. So, two men sitting in what appears to be a park and are chatting. The one man we later learn goes by Francis, informs the other fellow that he has been through things, terrible things, which begins his story at the carnival. We're introduced to his friend Alan, who from a profile had a real Crispin Glover look going on. That was until he smiled. The pals find out about the fair in the newspaper and learn that there will be entertainment of all varieties. I have to stop here to mention how much I love silent film. The main reason is the focus it requires. When you watch a silent movie, your eyes can't look away from the screen. You must be extremely attentive and give yourself to the picture. If you try to multitask, or disrespect a silent picture by creeping on your social medias, it's not going to wait for you. It won't try to catch you up later by regurgitating the plot. Nah. You gotta watch the film. The silent can't rely on their vocal cords, so they have to show you, which means your eyes belong to them. Which brings me to the production design of this film. It's so neat. Apparently, the sets in the film were made of paper, shadows were painted on the walls, and everything was constructed for less than $800. In looking up things about the film, I found this really rad website. It's intjournal.com, which had a bunch of information about the architecture within cinema and an entire write-up all about this film. It was here that I learned that the cabinet of Dr. Caligari utilized a technique known as expressionism, which had originally been utilized in painting and theater during the 1920s and 30s. This was a reaction against realism, a way for people basically to escape the horrors of reality, in particular, war. This is definitely on display in this film, as very little appears as it should be. Buildings and windows are twisted, distorted shapes. Everything appears to be designed by a mad person. Well, we'll get to that later. This is also the scene where we learn of Dr. Caligari's attraction for the fair, a subnambulist, a fancy term for someone who is a sleepwalker. The town clerk is rude to Dr. Caligari, and after the first night of the carnival, the town clerk is murdered with a sharp-pointed instrument. So the good doctor sets up shop at the fair. He tells people to step right up to witness his attraction, the miraculous Cesar. They are then taken into a circus-style tent. And we learn that César is 23 years old, and for 23 years, he has slept continuously, day and night. And when he does wake from what the doctor refers to as his death, it is like a trance. I love how we're introduced to César, clad all in black, darkened eyes, a manic expression, The use of a close-up on his face its so unsettling, yet I found my heart beating faster due to excitement. I wanted to know everything about him. And what do you know, I got another corpse crush. The spectators are informed that César will take their questions. He knows the past, sees the future, knows every secret, has all the answers volunteers, inquiring about his time left on Earth, in which Cesar informs, till the break of dawn, causing Alan to go into hysterics. As they leave the fair, Francis and Alan, there were two things I noticed. One, I love everyone's jackets. They are very much cape-like. And two, there are a lot of interesting hats, pointy triangular ones, bowlers, top hats, a feast for the eyes when it comes to interesting headwear. I also love all the shadows. Again, the use of lighting within this film is extremely effective in creating an unsettling mood. Who needs all those fancy schmancy special effects when you have lights? Well, ta-da! Alan dies Francis becomes determined to solve this crime. He wants to get to the bottom of who has murdered his friend. So he teams up with his gal pal, Jane, in hopes to solve the crime. The police mistakenly catch the wrong dude. It gets rather wild, but let's just skip to the Cesar part, okay? Cesar is extremely crafty. He sleeps in this wooden coffin-type box in Dr. Caligari's home, by the way, Caligari's home, it totally gave me a sense of uneasiness. The use of lighting again adds to this feeling. In particular, the use of low-key lighting to guide your eyes to a certain part of the frame and induce an unsettling, unnerving feeling, such as when it, when Alan's murder was witnessed. You never actually see Alan die, it is just the shadows, the light, playing tricks on your mind. The light in this film is utilized almost like a paint. It's very intriguing. So Cesar truly is living the life at Caligari's. Dr. Caligari literally feeds him. When Francis demands to visit Cesar and wake him, Dr. Caligari won't stand for it. That's a true friend. Of course, the police eventually realize that they have caught the wrong man. And Cesar still has them fooled though, going out into the pale moonlight while a dummy doll lays in his coffin bed. Now the tint used for the night scenes was probably my favorite. It was a bluish tint and was very, yes. Whereas the daytime was more of a burnt orange tint. You can
1: simply not wear a mask. Oh. You think you need a mask to disguise yourself? Well, just watch what you can do. With a little help from your parents and some scraps of cloth or old clothes from around home. An eyebrow pencil. Different colors of eyeshadow? Rouge. Lipstick. An old mop or wig. Some wax teeth. Maybe some clay and food coloring, and a few other odds and ends.
0: Cesar visits Frances' gal Jane at her bedside, and initially seems to have come with the idea to kill, but instead has a change of heart. Of course, when she awakens, trouble ensues, and he whisks her away into the darkness, climbing across the slanted rooftops. I really love the old switcheroo that César pulled here, making people believe he was asleep in the comfort of his bunk, only to be parading around at night, waltzing about the town in search of someone to murder. Inevitably, the gal gets away and César runs off and collapses in what appears to be a wooded area. As for Francis, Upon this discovery of the dummy, he follows Dr. Caligari into a, an insane asylum. This is where the story goes completely bonkers. Francis questions the physicians at the hospital about Caligari, only to learn that Caligari is actually the director of the hospital. This sends Francis into a tizzy. He must know the truth. So when Caligari goes to sleep, he starts a full-blown investigation, starting with the director's office. This is where Francis learns of the director's secret obsession with a spiritual magician of sorts, Caligari. As Francis reads, he learns that this man, Caligari, had used a somnambulist named Cesar to commit murders in a northern Italy town. We then witness when the director comes across his own somnambulist that is admitted to the asylum who he then trains and transforms into his very own Caesar. The director became so obsessed with the teachings of Caligari he had become Caligari. He needed to know if it was true that a sleepwalker could be led to commit murder acts that one would not do while they were awake. He wanted to know if one could be compelled to. I know as some myself, I even realize that I too may be a bit of a Dr. Caligari. I have this little furry pal that is very dear to me, my pup, my little Norma Bates, mother, Foxy. Foxy, my pup, for the Canadians out there, doggo. And don't worry, dear listeners, I shall share a picture of her on the Cinematic Crypt page on MovieJohn.com. Well, she is a little Pomeranian of sorts, a white cloud, really, that kind of just floats. But wow, she loves to sleep more than anything else. And while watching this movie, Cesar reminded me of her so much. She often will do my bidding in the night, whatever I ask, she'll deliver. The mind is powerful, folks for whenever you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. A great philosopher McFly once said this. So just to be clear, I don't ask Foxy to murder. I mean, we're just up late in the lab conducting experiments, you know, normal stuff. Okay. Back to the movie for the most shocking turn of events. In the end, Francis demands the director to unmask himself and admit that he is Dr. Caligari. Caligari is restrained and placed in a straitjacket. The story then returns to the present, the two men sitting in the garden, which is where the twist is revealed. Francis is shown as being an inmate within the asylum. His gal Jane is there and Cesar, only this time he is awake. And does not appear sinister at all, but more demure. Francis is terrified, remarking, Never allow him to tell your fortune, or you're dead. I must note, for those that don't know me personally, I have a fascination with dolls and films. This flick features a wonderful doll cameo of a lady dancing with a doll in the asylum. Not troubling at all. I actually have a list of different doll cameos on Letterboxd, and you can find me there at Rosalie Kicks. So, anyway, Dr. Caligari is truly the asylum director, though. Francis attacks him, and this time he is restrained in the straitjacket and placed in the cell that we earlier saw Dr. Caligari placed. The movie ends with the doctor proclaiming that he now understands Francis' delusion, remarking he thinks I'm Caligari, now I know how to cure him. The plot twist, which is the device utilized at the end of this film, is when there is an unexpected turn of events in the story of the film. Now, I was not able to find the first film to utilize this device, but I have to guess that The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari was one of the earliest films to do so, being that it was made in 1920. This film, of course, is considered a classic and had much influence on later films made in the States. It is easy to see the impact it had on the horror genre in particular. For a mere $30 a day, Conrad Vedit brought César to life, and would forever be a role that he looked back fondly on, remarking, No matter what roles I play, I can't get Caligari out of my system. If you are new to silent films, I hope I inspired you to check out The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. I purchased a Blu-ray copy from Kino Lorber, which I highly recommend, as the presentation is superb. However, I'm sure your local library would have this flick, and I also believe it's probably available online. However, beware, as the print may not be great. After you watch The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, let me know what you think. Drop me a line at cinematiccrypt@gmail.com, at gmail.com, and don't be a stranger. If you have a suggestion for the show or a corpse you want me to dig up, let me know. You can also reach me on Twitter and Instagram at Cinematic Crypt. Oh, it seems we have a call coming in. Hello?
1: This is Caesar. Ask me anything you desire. I have all answers. I see the future, know the past.
0: Okay, I have a question. Is there a life after death?
1: I'm speaking to you now, dear Kix, aren't I?
0: For my next episode, I will continue my examination of spoo silence and dissect the 1927 silent film The Cat and the Canary directed by Paul Leany. This is a film that falls into a genre that I refer to as wills and thrills. It tells the story of family members descending to a spooky mansion on the 20th anniversary of their eccentric millionaire relative's death in order to read his will. This is another movie that I have yet to see, and I'm very much looking forward to uncovering, especially after reading Movie John contributor Roderick Towers' article, A Haunting We Will Go, which is now available to read at moviejohn.com. I'll talk more about that in the program. Hope you tune in. Until next time, film pals, don't forget to visit moviejohn.com shop to subscribe and find our latest print scene in your mailbox featuring writings about bad moms of cinema. This issue features a beautiful cover by our art director Hugo Marmucci of Norman Bates from Psycho with none other than the illustrious Mother Bates. Also a shout out to my Canadian film pal Dr. Ashley Jane Carruthers for providing and creating the tunes you hear on this program. Thanks, Ashley. It is now time to close the coffin. Here I leave you to rest with my latest epitaph, my tombstone quote, compliments of Francis. Never ask him to tell your fortune. It will mean death for you. A warning to all that my nap time should not be interrupted with insolent questions. Goodbye, film pals.